drop. How's it going, all you Be Kind Rewinders? It's Joey back in the studio, and I have something amazing to share with you. I recently fell down a rabbit hole and stumbled upon one of the greatest pop culture facts that has ever I, I think that th this bear is talking about. So I want you to strap in, kids, because fact of the matter is, is that Forrest Gump exists, and he was an Uncle Joey from Full House. Buddy, uh, we were gone for a little bit. Uh, Tucker Reese, the, the 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 son of the show, he was kind of sick for a while. Uh, we actually had to spend a couple nights in the hospital, but we are on the mend. We are well. We are fast. We are furious. And I am back. When we are back in the studio today, uh, going solo, flying us uh, solo. By the way. Still an amazing Star Wars movie, by the way. Um, but we're not we're not talking about Star Wars tonight. I've got something amazing, like I said in the in the uh, in the cold open. A few years ago, uh, specifically in the early 2010s, um, I I stumbled upon something that just captured me, and I, I was just riveted on this this idea, and I. And I, I, I did some digging, I did some research, and I fully believe, like I said, that Forrest Gump is real. And I am going on record right now today. It says that Dave Coulier, Mr. Un Ms., uh, Uncle Joey Gladstone from TV's Full House, is the real-life Forrest Gump. What do I mean by the real-life Forrest Gump? Forrest Gump, obviously, if you haven't seen the movie or read the insane ass book, the the Forrest Gump book is 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 absolutely in, insanity. But um, Forrest Gump basically bumbles his way from major moment in history after another. Um, everyone's familiar with the Tom Hanks movie, and it's a classic. And that has now been synonymous with people that are just kind of been present maybe not active participants but at least present in major major events in history uh specifically we're talking about pop culture history um not so much movies but we're gonna dab in movies a little bit but tonight i want to like i said i want to talk about mr dave coulier this is taken from a, a blog that i wrote in March 11th, 2012. And I've updated a little bit. I've added a little bit more information to it. If you're familiar with things like the grand unification theory from uh, Pixar that states that all Pixar um, things are connected. And there's also one, uh, there is also a theory, I forget his name, uh, but the little boy, uh, the final episode of, of, um, Hill Street Blues. Uh, it was shown that the the Hill Street no, sorry, Saint Elsewhere, not Hill Street Blues, Saint Elsewhere. That everything that happened in Saint Elsewhere took place in the mind of an autistic child. Well, characters that are on one show to another to another to another to another, all connected, which states that about ninety different, uh, ninety percent of all the television that you've ever watched, including things like the X Files, The Simpsons. To that respect, uh, Family Guy and anything that's ever been on Family Guy all takes place in the same universe, which takes place in the head of a little autistic child. Uh, so that's that. That those are those two types of, of, of crazy uh, conspiracy kind of theories that are out there. So this is my own though, and I called this one Five Insane Ways Uncle Joey Affected Your Life," because I guarantee you, he was there at some point. He was there. So we all know Dave Coulier played uh, Uncle Joey Gladstone uh, from TV's Full House. 
Um, if you've slept through the late 80s or mid-90s, uh, then you would know that Full House is a saccharine-filled television sitcom uh, about uh, clean freak widower Danny Tanner raising his three precocious daughters, two of which had their own catchphrases. Um, along with uh, a Grecian brother-in-law, Jesse, and a parent transient turned Uncle Joey. Yeah, Dave Coulier's character in Family House was never related. He was just a guy. That's what I always thought that was funny. Uh, Joey, uh, which, I mean, obviously his name was Joey. So, of course, Dave Coulier was a huge, uh, uh, he was a hero of mine. Very much so. And going through this, uh, we'll talk a little bit about... The, obviously, the, those things that kind of jumped out as to why he was a hero of mine. Not, o- not only just being a huge fan of Full House. So, one of the gimmicks or something, uh, uh, Full House, if you weren't, uh, if you hadn't really watched it, um, every week there was a, a, a morality tale uh, about strengths of family values. Um, and of course, using those witty catchphrases. And one of the staples of the show was Dave Coulier's comedy stylings. Um, he had all sorts of really cool uh, comedic strengths that he would use. Um, he can do impressions. Like he would do Popeye or Bluto, uh, Bullwinkle, Popeye. It was a very narrow wheelhouse that he had. But he would do impressions and he had... Um, silly jokes. He was very clean. He, he, he very worked. He worked very clean. And obviously, he was a family show. Even in his in his personal life and his uh, real life career, he he very he works very clean. He very. I, I think the looking at some of his body of work, the worst thing that I've been able to find that he was part of was he would do, he did voices on um, Adult Swim on uh, robot chicken so i mean as far as ro- as far as adult swim goes robot chicken is about as clean as they come um so dave coulier was a was you know obviously a primary character on the show um and so what we're what i'm talking about is these these things that the, the these these moments in history that he he popped up at so Here's, that's some backstory about Dave Coulier. He was a, a clean-cut uh, com- uh, comedian from Full House. And for, to, uh, to an extent, Fuller House. All right, so let's get right into this, shall we? Number five in the top five ways Uncle Joey affected your life. Number five, the beef. What do I mean by the beef? I am going to talk about a mythical creature, a unicorn, a, a god among men. Uh, he is an actor. He's a performance artist. From the moment I saw him, I knew that he was something special. And we've talked about him before on the show, and I'll bring him up again. When I say the beef, I mean, of course, Mr. Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf is, like I said, a, an actor. And he's, he's a younger actor. He's younger than me. And he has since, uh, from... The, the writing of this blog post, he has since gone on to to do some amazing things, even beyond what I, I was impressed with when his body of work, uh, when this first things happened. Uh, Shia LaBeouf obviously was in Transformers. Uh, he was in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, something that we talked about at length in its own episode here on the show. Absolutely phenomenal act. I he is a good actor. I, I I can't say that enough. He is a very talented man. Uh, I I love his performance art. He is a walking, talking meme. I love it. The just do it is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, the Shia LaBeouf song. Oh my gosh. If you have not heard, and I'm going to link this on the Facebook page, uh, the Shia LaBeouf uh, song. Walk into the forest. It's Shia LaBeouf. Holy crap. I'm not even going to get into it because it, I, I could never in a million years do it justice. Holy smokes. Shia LaBeouf is, if you don't know who he is, that oh, that's almost a failing on your part because Shia LaBeouf is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and I cannot stress that enough uh, on how much of, of uh, just, I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, belay that. So I am a huge fan. So what is Shia LaBeouf 
and Dave Coulier have in common? I will tell you. Shia LaBeouf uh, had an amazing 2003. Uh, he started his career in uh, 1998. Uh, he did some TV, uh, things like that. Uh, his first big, well-known work that he did was at a show called Even Stevens. Absolutely hilarious show. That is when I first ran into him as a performer. It was the Even Stevens show. Check it out. It's on Disney+. Plus. It is God, it's so good. So funny. Um, Shia LaBeouf, uh, Christy Carlson Romano, uh, who was Kim Possible. Just, God, so freaking good. Uh, that show lasted for about three or four years or so. Um, really good stuff. If you really get into that show, there's some really good episodes that really shows off uh, uh, Shia, Shia's uh, comedic talent. Well, on top of doing that, he also, in 2003, came out with, uh, he was in a movie uh, called Holes. Wonderful film, instant classic, uh, absolutely amazing, uh, absolutely rewatchable. Doesn't even qualify for this show because I, I, I would try for you to find something wrong with that film. Anyway, back to the point at hand. Uh, you can draw a line uh, if you look at uh, Shia LaBeouf's career you know it kind of meanders through different tv shows and things like that he was even on the x-files speaking of which um and then around 2003 he was in a movie called um he was actually on, he was actually on freak uh, freaks and geeks actually um but he was in a movie called uh when harry met lloyd which was a prequel to dumb and dumber very very good we'll probably cover that on this show for sure um, and then he was in Holes. He was also in a made-for-TV movie called The Even Stevens Movie. Now, if you look at his career, like I said, it goes from the Mandarin shows to this one year, he kind of explodes. He's in films. Uh, he's in the Even Stevens movie. What? From that moment on, he explodes. That's where he gets the Transformers. That's where he gets into Indiana Jones. That's where he gets into a Wall Street sequel. Um, lots of things. Shia LaBeouf becomes Shia LaBeouf from there. He does a whole bunch of stuff. He's in everything. Totally burns out from being like the clean cut. Uh, not really clean cut, but just actor guy. Totally gets burned out. Uh, completely goes off the rails and starts doing the work for himself. Which I love it when actors do that. When they start doing the work for themselves. Because that's when you get to see when they kind of control the, what they want to do with their careers. And it's really cool. I mean, yeah, there's stuff that they're in that's the studio stuff uh, is good. Um, I, I would argue that it's better than their own personal stuff. But from like a performer's perspective, I love it when they're able to do that and to take the reins and do what they have to do. Sometimes it works out great. Sometimes not so much. Johnny Depp has kind of does what he wants to do. He does some pretty good things. Kevin Smith got into a position where he can do whatever the crap he wants. And we got Tusk and we got uh, yoga hosers and things like that. So, you know, it, it's a toss up. But you could tell that, that, that all that started around this time. Now, why, why is that important and why is that important? Because if you look at the Even Stevens movie, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna spoil a movie that's almost. Oh God, it's almost 20 years old now. It's like 15, 16, 16 some odd years old, 17 years old now. Uh, the the Stevens family gets picked up to be uh, to be guests on a tropical island, and then their vacation goes awry. Come to find out, they are all unwilling participants on a prank show called Gotcha. Hosted by Mr. Dave Coulier himself. Obviously not playing Dave Coulier, but Dave Coulier himself. It is a Rube Goldberg uh, thing that happens, okay? If 2003 for Shia LaBeouf doesn't end as well as it didn't go as well as it did for him, you don't get things like the the Shia LaBeouf memes or the the Shia LaBeouf song or any of the stuff that he's doing now you don't get uh um oh my gosh uh the peanut butter movie 
that he was in that was like a really amazing movie. You don't get these things if this doesn't happen. So right at the very beginning, you've got so much cool pop culture stuff came. And who was there just sitting there twiddling his thumbs playing a, a, a throwaway role? It was Dave Coulier. For what reason? 2003 was not... <laughs> That wasn't a real big year for Dave. You know, Fuller House was still a long ways away. Full House itself was way in the past. Uh, the only thing that he was doing around that time were, were uh, mostly Canadian shows like Skating with the Stars and things like that. So I found it hilarious that that, that Dave, I, it was just funny that Dave is just standing there when uh, Shia LaBeouf is, is taking his biggest, the biggest step of his career ever. And he was there. Number four. I've heard this voice somewhere before. Quick side note. And I didn't know this until I originally put this together. Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, we all know, played Shredder on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Dottie from Pee-wee's Big Adventure played Tommy Pickles on the Rugrats. Now let's take a look at what Dave Coulier has done for voices. All right. Animal and Bunsen Honeydew on the Muppet Babies. He did uh, a, a Rick Moranis' role in an animated Bob and Doug McKenzie cartoon. Um, he played Scooby-Doo, Fred Flintstone, and Popeye on Robot Chicken. He did several voices for Pinky and the Brain, Dexter's Laboratory, The Little Mermaid Show, Teen Titans, the original Scooby and Scrappy-Doo, and he was the main, the main voice of Felix the Cat uh, for a very long time. So he's got a pretty well um, career as far as an, uh, vo uh, uh, animated voices. But the biggest one that jumped out at me, and I didn't know uh, that surprised the crap out of me, was do you remember the old Ghostbusters TV show? The cartoon? Yeah. Dave Coulier was on that show. He played Bill, he played Venkman on the Ghostbusters show. The first season was done by another actor. And then Dave Coulier took over for Bill Murray's character in the cartoon, the, the Ghostbusters show, the Ghostbusters cartoon. Why that's important, I think, is because right now we're coming into, uh, to say that, it, to, to me, it's just fascinating that Dave Coulier has, again, when you look at the timeline of Ghostbusters, you know, becoming an amazing hit in the, in the early 80s, um, it should have all but fizzled out after Ghostbusters 2, which I'm going on record and saying Ghostbusters 2 is a superior movie. Send me your, your hate mail. So you've got Ghostbusters 2 and then all these cartoons of, because there was the, the real Ghostbusters, extreme Ghostbusters, all these different um, television incantations of the Ghostbusters to completely fizzling out, but then building a momentum to where you have in... The mid 2010s, you've got the the Ghostbusters um, answer the call. The Lady Ghostbusters again, a superior Ghostbusters movie. You know, if you want to rank the Ghostbusters in a top three, you know, Ghostbusters, you know, which is the top Ghostbusters, which is the second, which is the third best. The original Ghostbusters just comes in third, and I will go on record to say that I think Ghostbusters Two is hilarious, and Ghostbusters answer the call. The Lady Busters is a phenomenal film. Ghostbusters continued to hold its momentum as far as being part of the the, the fabric of pop culture for so long, and the fact that Dave Coulier kind of wandered in and out of that is absolutely fascinating to me. Absolutely fascinating, and to me that the fact that he he voiced Bill Murray's character of all things, uh, Venkman, is absolutely amazing. It's. Just, Speechless. All right, number three. The Book of Baguettes. Not Baguettes. Baguettes. Uh, if you are a Bible-reading person, you are familiar with the Baguettes. 
blank beget blank. Blank begets this. There's books of the Bible that's literally just like, and then one became two, and then two became three, and three beget four, and four beget five. The big, bigger begets. So blank beget jackass beget America's Got Talent beget Tosh.0. Remember earlier I mentioned a Rube Goldberg device. One thing makes another thing happen, which does another, which which means another. I mean, arguably, you could say that all of pop culture is that way. One thing inspires another thing, which creates something else, which inspires something else, which creates, which inspires something else. I get it. Even Star Wars is inspired by Dune, which is inspired by a number of other things. So, again, how does this relate? Here we go. Picture it. Sicily. I mean, picture it. 1989. One of the most popular TV shows of the time is a show where you literally just send videotapes into a studio. They find the ones that, that, that are the funniest, whether it's a video of your grandpa falling over or your grandma flashing her unmentionables or anything like that. You send them in and... Uh, the TV, the TV show goes through it, finds their funniest ones. They put it on TV. Obviously I'm talking about America's funniest on videos hosted by at the time, Bob Saget, America's funniest on videos, you know, went on to be hosted by Tom Bergeron and then obviously Carlton. But when it first came out, it was Bob Saget and it was huge. It was the, my family sent in pick videos to America's funniest on videos. Everybody I know, this is, I mean, it was Sunday night. It was primetime Sunday night television. That's what you were watching was America's Finest Home Videos. It was right around the time when VHS cameras were something that were easily affordable. Um, I, I mean, I can't say they were easily affordable, but it wasn't beyond reason for an average home to have a video camera. We were fortunate enough to, my dad had a, had a VHS tape camera. And we were, we were fortunate enough to have it because my dad, we've talked, I've talked about it before on the show. My dad recorded everything. I've got boxes of VHS tapes that he's made that he recorded, not just once he bootlegged from the gas station, but anyway, um, America's funny stone videos. People would send in at the end of the season, you know, every episode they give away a cash prize. At the end of the season, the funniest of the season got a huge cash prize. It was huge. And it was something that became, you know, a, a national movement. Well, what's gonna, what are you going to do when you have one of the highest rated TV shows on air? Obviously, you're going to try to do a spinoff, right? Why not? So, what are you gonna, how are you going to do a spinoff of America's Funniest Home Videos? Well, one of the things, and it was funny, I watched a special on this when it was popular. And... They said that they get a lot of staged videos. They get a lot of things that you can totally tell are absolutely just made up or everything is staged to, 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 to get it in there, right? Uh, I, there's a classic one of a guy, he's uh, chainsawing a tree down right in the middle of, right you know, next to this road and his car is literally parked right there and he's standing right by the car chainsawing this tree and it falls right on the car. You couldn't line it up even any more perfectly. And it's done. You can completely tell that it's intentional. It was done for laughs. It was done for giggles. It was time to be on the show. So logically, let's do that. Let's take our videos that people send us that are staged as, as, as well as ask people for videos of them doing something silly, doing something funny and calling it America's Funniest People. Perfect. We could take their cameras and we can go across. Um, they would take their cameras and they would go to different malls uh, around the country and set up their cameras and record people doing silly, silly tricks or uh, silly talents and things like that. Um, it was great. And I loved it. It made a great evening of television. America's Funniest Home Videos, America's Funniest People. Loved it. I had a favorite, obviously. My favorite was Amer America's Funniest People. I thought that was hilarious. So, so you've got that concept right there. A television show where people do stupid things and then are videotaped. Interesting. In each v also, each video will feature people of varying skills and talents competing for the same prize. 
not unlike America's Got Talent. And each video be introduced and laughed about by stand-up And also, the hosts would sit and make fun of the videos and talk about them and laugh at them. Not only like a show like Tosh.0 or The Soup or, hell, even Mystery Science Theater or any of those types of shows. Freaking YouTube is people a place where you can just send your funny crap videos onto and let people talk about them and laugh about them or TikTok or any other or vines any of these things all of these different things where uh time magazine a few years ago the person of the year was you you know the person doing something silly for a camera i mean that's what most between you know facebook live and instagram stories and things like that We've been doing this for years and years and years, even well before uh, the internet. We've been doing it on videotape. And before video, videotape, we were doing it on the radio. We were doing things in the in the 70s and 80s. Uh, there was the, the gong show, all these different things. We, we've always wanted that moment, that, that, that moment to shine and that moment to, to show off a little bit. And you look at that. And who hosted America's Funniest People, who was definitely, again, not directing the river, but it was sitting on a bank at one point, was freaking Dave Coulier. At the very beginning, it was, it was Dave Coulier hosted uh, as well as Tawny Katane. And then uh, a different uh, host hostess came on later. But yeah, so you have this, 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 this trend of people doing silly things for the camera whether for notoriety, for money, or anything, for wanting their 15 minutes of fame, and who had her hand in that? I mean, let alone him being an actor, and like that's his job, but for him to host a show where that was was in the forefront, it's just, again, one of those mind-boggling things that, that Dave Coulier was there. He hosted that show, America's Funniest People. There's lots of cool episodes on uh, on YouTube of America's Funniest People. And I definitely, definitely recommend watching them. It is absolutely hysterical to, um, there's some cringe. Oh, there's some cringe on there for sure. But, uh, it's, it's, it's great. And he also, Dave Coulier also gets to really push his, his dad joke, clean cut comedy on this show to even more so than he got to do on home on, on full house. Uh, that Dave, uh, America's funniest people, uh, being part of that, that begat trend of one thing leads to the another, to the other, to the other, to the other. The fact that again, he's a part of it in some minute way is just absolutely fascinating to me. Again, I, oh, and man, he, so watching that show being an impressionable kid when I was eight, nine years old, like I, uh, heck yeah. One of the recurring characters on America's Funniest Film People was the Jackalope, was a Jackalope character. And those them videos themselves are like hilarious. They were live action Looney Tunes that they made. It was great stuff. It was absolutely good stuff. So definitely check out America's Funniest People and realize that in the course of that trend, he was there. Number two on this list of Insane ways Uncle Joey affected your life. You ought to know by now. So in VH1, in, two, in the year 2000, comp uh, compiled a list of the top 100 songs of the 1990s. There's a list, the, list, um, the list was made to showcase all of the best is what made of the 90s so 90s-ies. Number 12 on that list is by all accounts as 90s as they come. Uh, the song itself is an extra large glass of coffee bar cappuccino flowing over with Doc Martin boots and flannel shirts. The song, of course, is Alanis Morissette's You Ought to Know. Uh, 99, uh, 1995, uh, Canada delivered onto America um, a nice Anxfield little pixie named Alanis Morissette. And she, uh, she made an album with Fleet and Dave Navarro of all people called Jagged Little Pill. And it is probably one of the greatest albums ever made. Um, it is definitely in your top 10. If you, if you were any part of a musical, a music, in, 
any sort of like pop culture or music enthusiast anywhere between the late 80s into now, Jagged Little Pill is absolutely unquestionably one of the high water marks of that time period. And again, I will go on record saying that. Jagged Little Pill is one of those albums where every song is just as good, just as memorable and re-listenable as the next. It is absolutely phenomenal thing. I mean, you can't take just an album and create a whole Broadway show based around it like they've done Jagged Little Pill. It really speaks to a generation. It speaks to a lot of people that lived through the late, the mid, the mid nineties, um, who still carry that angst with them today. I certainly do. And, um, it is absolutely great. Uh, and you've got songs like, uh, you know, if, if, if the song Hand in My Pocket got you to the party, but you ought to know, really, really, they play that song now at any karaoke bar or in any kind of rest. Yeah, you're, you're, you're part of it. And, and you know what I'm talking about. Um, it is definitely an angst-filled rant from a jaded ex-girlfriend. And, um, and it is completely filled with uh, guilting her ex-boyfriend. Um, you can argue that this song was a catalyst, catalyst, or at least contributed to a lot of other strong women-led music of that era. Uh, a lot of it was really, uh, you know, women really came forward and used their voice. Uh, in a big way uh, around this point, <clears throat> you've got uh, uh, people like uh, the Four Non Blondes and Edie Brickell. And to be honest with you, even to a lesser extent, I will even say that uh, like the Spice Girls. Granted, yes, that was all manufactured bullshit. I get it. But the message was there that it was a good. I, again, I'm a doughy 40 year old white guy. I, I, I don't have. This isn't my lane. This isn't my space. But you could argue that that this has to have been a good turning point for um, women in general and women's music um, because a lot of great stuff came after that. So <clears throat> why I bring this up? Well, if you haven't figured it out now, I'm going to tell you right now, in the X that she's singing about Mrs. The former Mrs. Ryan Reynolds, the ex that she's singing about the guy that she goes down in a movie theater. I shit you not as Dave Coulier. I, yes, I, I, I want you to visualize Alanis Morissette and uncle Joey getting all sweaty in a movie theater, but yeah, they were married, uh, for a very brief time, but that relationship affected her in a very, very, very big way. Um, uh, and a, a lot of the pain and a lot of the torment that came from that relationship came from Dave Coulier. That's who it is. I always wonder if she had a, an amazing song called Unsent uh, where she writes uh, letters to her exes and... I always try to figure out which one of those exes she's writing to, um, which one of those exes that she's writing about is Dave Coulier. But uh, yeah, I mean, she she was married to Ryan Reynolds for a while, but the fact that all that anger and angst came from being married to Dave Coulier, just, you can't, you, you just can't. Once you realize that it's like, it's, you know, they, they, they've tiptoed around it a lot, but the writing is on the wall that, yeah, there it is. Dave Coulier and Alanis Morissette. Oh, so, so my final point, and my finally, my 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 final point is to why the Mr. Forrest Gump himself, Dave Coulier, uh, was responsible for, or insane ways he affected your childhood. Number one. Everything you ever watched as a kid. 
this is a huge statement, but it's true. And I've got some receipts here for you. So we're going to play a good, we're going to, we're going to play a game. If you're listening at home, if you're listening to car, we're going to play a little mental game, maybe even a piece of paper game. Just get out a pen and a paper or just an empty word doc or in your memory. We're going to try a fun exercise from your earliest memory to today. Okay. From your earliest memory to today. Name every single Nickelodeon television show you ever watched or at least knew about. Start writing. In the interest of inclusion, I'm going to play as well. Nickelodeon, I did this earlier, Nickelodeon TV shows, Salute Your Shorts, Hey Dude, Roundhouse, Don't Just Sit There, You Can't Do That on Television, Clarissa Explains It All, Rugrats, Rugrats All Grown Up, All That, Keenan and Kel, Pete and Pete, Are You Afraid of the Dark, The Amanda Show, Double Dare, Super Sloppy Double Dare, Finders Keepers, Legends of the Hidden Temple, Today's Special, I'm Telling, Guts, SpongeBob SquarePants, Jimmy Neutron, Ned's Declassified, Angry Beavers, Cat Dog, Ah, Real Monsters, Doug, iCarly, Drake and Josh, 15, Rocco, Ren and Stimpy, Victorious, Sam and Cat, um, Hey Arnold, The Wild Thornberries, um, uh, The Wild Thornberries, Invader Zim, Cat Scratch, Avatar, The Last, uh, The Last Airbender, The Secret World of Alex Mack. You can go on and do this forever. Yeah, you might, you might have a couple of, uh, you might have a couple, uh, Disney shows that go in there, but your Nickelodeon show list will go on and on and on and on. Why is that important? Now think of all the shows that uh, uh, even now think of all the shows that Nickelodeon acquired um, through things like Nick at Night or Nick Jr. All that stuff. Nickelodeon is huge. It is absolutely gigantic. Their their catalog is un uh, is absolutely uh, 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 unmatched. Um, it is insanity. Um. I'm willing to bet that it's probably larger than a Disney channel or, or even a cartoon network list. All right. So Nickelodeon is what it used to be called Nick for the cool kids. Um, and it's been around for about almost four decades now. Um, as of when I first wrote that, this, I got this, when I first wrote this in the early 2000, it was about 2012, the Ninja Turtles was just getting ready to come back. Now look at what's happened with the Ninja Turtles since then. Okay. Ninja Turtles was just getting ready to get back. And Nickelodeon was on the forefront of that. From then they've, they've brought on two or three other new shows, a whole slew of movies, live action movies, just that alone. Okay. Huge, huge deal. So why, why is this important? In 1977, uh, cable television was slowly becoming a thing. Distributors like Warner Cable, uh, they were, these cable companies, they they were needing channels, um, uh, which strangely enough, if you're going to be a cable, ca- cable network, you need channels and shows. Okay. <laughs> Logically. Uh, so enter a tiny upstart cute, uh, tiny upstart channel with a cutesy little name called pinwheel and a novel idea of airing kids programming programming, which was imported from Canada. Ah, see everything was going fine until, uh, so pin, you know, they, they've got pinwheel and they're bringing things in uh, Turkey TV and things like that. Um, uh, then their biggest hit, which, uh, if they would, I would just, uh, that's three uh, because it's that important. Uh, one of their biggest shows was you can't do that on television and you can't do that on television. Anything that you know about Nickelodeon now, they stole from you can't do that on television because it was there from the very beginning. Um, the green slime was from you can't do that on television. Every time you said the word, I don't know you got green slime dropped on you and it was a crazy thing. 
Um, you can't do that on television was a sketch show that was, uh, it was mostly based around kids and they had two, uh, adult actors and it was a phenomenal show. Funny fact, Alanis Morissette was on that show. Huh? Weird. I know. So, um, Alanis Morissette was a ch- uh, child actor, uh, on, you can't do that on television. Now, Pinwheel, uh, along with uh, with Warner Cable, uh, they wanted to rebrand it. They have uh, they had new orders. They, uh, you can't do it on television. Was a Canadian import, their number one show. They've got this Pinwheel channel. It was like, okay, we need to do something a little bit more. So what we're going to do is we're going to rebrand this, and we're going to start creating our own original show specifically for this this channel. Okay, it's not going to be co-opted uh from from canada um it's gonna probably be produced there but we need some original programming things that we're making uh um so the first thing they did is they pinwheel is out because you know pinwheels you you can't really market that because someone somewhere owns the rights to pinwheel so they go with the name nickelodeon which at this point was probably a public domain name. It's probably once something that they could trademark easily. Uh, Nickelodeon's were, were, were historic, historically, uh, they were like dirty little peep shows on, um, <laughs> on like beach fronts and things, but, uh, like Coney Island and stuff like that, but they were quaint, but, um, you know, our, our sailor grandpappies used to watch them on shore leave. Um, but, they became Nickelodeon, and a few shows uh, went into production. Now, you got to think about this. It's 83, about 1983, okay? You have a brand, you know, you're making a big step, all right, into a brand new show, a brand new channel, so to speak, you know, a whole new relaunch. You're going to pin your show on some new original content, okay? You yourself, as the people from the newly minted Nickelodeon, are going forward with the, with this endeavor, you know? It, it's one thing to just run reruns of other shows, you know, look at Pluto, the Pluto streaming channel. Not an amazing channel, but they don't make anything. Uh, just about, hard, you know, there's tons and tons of streaming channels that they don't make anything. They just re-ring that, and you can do that. But they're making their own stuff. It's like when Netflix first jumped into the to the arena with uh, House of Cards. You know, first they're just selling. You know, they're just renting DVDs and like, oh shoot, now we have a show. It's a big deal, right? Now we have an exclusive. So the very so you have to be in a position. So what are you going to lead with? This is what I'm getting at. All right, what are you going to? What is going to be your new? Fresh off, you know, fresh and clean show. So they come up with a show. Um, so they've got, they come up with a show that's got that, you can't do that on television sensibilities, um, but it's got a good old flash of, of good old American crazy. And it was called Out of Control. Holy smokes. It was good stuff. Um, and it was a show, uh, it was super 80s, super, super 80s uh, show. I mean, it would always have like really wacky uh, guest stars of their time, like Bruce Baum and Bill Bixby. Um, and, and it only ran for a year and a half. They only made like 20 some odd shows, but it was absolutely, um, it was just absolutely uh, uh, nutty as hell. You could watch it on YouTube. I was enthralled. I've, I spent a good afternoon watching old episodes of Out of Control. And I can remember first watching it when I was a kid and just loving it. It was uh, it was it kind of it was loosely based around the premise of like a news magazine show where you would have kind of like how 2020 used to do it to where they would have like uh, like they would have John Stossel come on and he's okay I'm gonna I've got a, the story that I did and then they would show the vid- the footage of the story and then come back and comment on it and then that was it um, like oh well, we talked to the strongest man in the world or we you know really goofy things and. The show took place in a low rent TV studio. Uh, it was sort of like a a 
uh, like a late night talk show slash news magazine. I mean, it was it was really bizarre. It was all over the place, but it was hilarious for its time. It was really irreverent. There was some amazingly good actors on there. Um, this lady named Diz. They would do this really weird, really weird. I can't do it, but it was really weird voice that she could and sound that she could do, um, which became synonymous with that. And um, it just had the goofy sensibilities of the '80s, and it was one of their first big shows, and it was a hit. Again, they only did like twenty some odd episodes, but it was a hit. Um, it really showed that uh, they could create their own content, and it still be worth, you know, still, you know, it, it gave them momentum. And from that momentum, they were able to produce things like Mr. Wizard, Mr. Wizard's World. Um, and then to another extent, uh, Double Dare with Mark Summers. Like, you you can trace this line from out of control to these other shows, Dare to, uh, Double Dare, Mr. Wizard's World, all these other early, um, late 80s Nickelodeon shows that it, it, it just it, it gave them the clout it gave them the the, the kudos yep we can do this okay um and it really just set the stage that the, this the, they weren't messing around okay they, they they knew they knew their audience they knew what they wanted to make and they went for it and they made it made some really cool stuff now go back to that list uh of all those shows okay that came after this time period. If go back in that point in time, you know, 83, 84 out of control fails. Okay. We're gonna play. What if out of control fails and, uh, the ratings drop, it, it's just not working. They're spending too much money producing these shows and not getting, um, ad revenues back or, or faces back to, to watch the show. So you, you, you try something different and you don't, you go back to what you know is safe. It's just, you know, importing shows from Canada that you personally didn't make. Um, none of that stuff happens. Okay. None of those things. Invader Zim, uh, Avatar, uh, Double Dare, all those Nickelodeon, Ren and Snippy, Clarissa, Victoria, Sam and Cat. Ariana Grande doesn't happen if these shows in the early 80s fail okay i shit you not okay uh, they may have they may have worked in a completely different setting it might have been something different but you can draw this line to that uh so you really got to think of that none of that stuff happens if this show doesn't work um so again why am i bringing this up there was, they had a very silly, but a very mild mannered straight man host of out of control. He was quick with jokes, can do funny impressions. And he had a cute little saying he liked to toss around every now and then when things got a little nuts. He'd put his fi fingers up like a pair of scissors and say, cut it out. God help me. It was hosted by Dave Coulier. you can't deny that shows like out of control, you might not remember them. You may not have watched them, but these early hits that, that struck chords with the kids who were there watching them created, you know, it was built off of that and it became what it is today. Had these early shows not, not worked and out of control was an early show that was, that worked and it was hosted by Dave Coulier. He was the straight man. He was the boss. He, he wrote a lot of that stuff. You have Dave Coulier to thank for Nickelodeon for, um, a part of nineties angst. You have Dave Coulier to thank for, uh, the YouTube generation. You have Dave Coulier to thank for, lending his voice to lots of different characters that you knew growing up. And you have Dave Coulier to thank for the walking meme of, of Shia LaBeouf. There are many, many more ways that Dave Coulier has affected your life. Dave Coulier, when he was in college, had a roommate. 
that roommate directed almost the entire bulk of the Big Bang Theory. That one didn't make the list, but one of the most expensively produced sitcoms of all times, uh, Big Bang Theory, his high school, his college roommate was Dave Coulier. So thank you so much for listening tonight. I know this is a huge departure from, uh, from the Be Kind Rewind, but I wanted to extend a Be Kind Rewind, not only to just films that people don't like, but to people that we owe a lot more to think than we give them credit for. So Dave Coulier, I know you're not listening, but I have been a fan of yours since I was a kid watching you on Out of Control. And I thank you so much because it may have not have come from you, but you were certainly present to a lot of things. And we have nothing you to think. Oh, shoot, Fuller House, the era of remaking shows for streaming. Full, Of course, it was Full House. So lots of reasons why uh, we think you're great, Dave, Dave Coulier. I think you're great. Um, thank you. And everybody at home, thank you for listening. Um, I got to go go it alone tonight. And uh, we'll be back next week uh, with a brand new episode again. Um, everything's getting back on track uh, uh, in the life of Joey. And so um, thank you for listening. I love you. Remember, if you're going to have a rewind, you might as well be kind. Stay safe out there, friends. I love you. Bye-bye.